Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey folks, Tom Merritt here. Not all of you have heard all of the episodes of Know a Little More, so from time to time we release older ones. This episode is about Safe Harbor and uh, particularly the Communications Decency Act. It was originally released July 2nd, 2020. We have not had to update anything since then. But enough from me. Begin about Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor, free pass, government subsidy, CDA 230. Are you confused? Don't be. Let's help you know a little more about Safe Harbor. Let's start with the legal concept of a safe harbor. It's a safety net to try to prevent misapplication of a rule. A common example is a rule against reckless driving. You might declare a safe harbor for anyone driving less than 10 miles an hour. If you're going that slow, maybe it's not reckless and you can just stop evaluating it. Makes things simpler. For the internet, the concept of safe harbor revolves around who is liable for what's posted online. If I run a blog and somebody posts a comment on my blog that is libelous, you might think that the commenter is responsible for what they posted. But the law may see my blog as the publisher of that comment and hold me responsible. Safe harbor is the idea that given certain conditions, you can host comments from other people and you are not held liable for those postings. In the U.S., that principle is enshrined in the Communications Decency Act Section 230 of 1996. So if you hear Safe Harbor and CDA 230 used interchangeably, that's why. All right, let's rewind the clock. An early example is Smith v. California, decided by the U.S. Supreme Court back in 1959. In that case, a bookstore owner in Los Angeles was prosecuted for having an obscene book in his store. The Supreme Court ruled that a bookstore is just a distributor who can't be expected to review every bit of content before it's sold. There's a lot of books in that store. So the bookstore owner should only be liable if they knew or should have known that what they were distributing was illegal. This is an important point to consider in future evaluations of CDA 230. So remember that the bookstore owner isn't off the hook 
If he's selling a book and you can say, look, everybody knew this was obscene. It was called the big book of full of obscenities, right? Uh, the court said that without this protection, however, without the protection from, hey, the, the book was called totally not obscene and he didn't know. The court said that without this protection, bookstores would limit their offerings to only books they had inspected, which would limit access to books that were not illegal, which wasn't good for society. And that's kind of the idea of CDA 230 that we'll get to, which is like, hey, uh, we don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. The safe harbor discussion as it applies to the internet starts in the early 1990s with legal cases against CompuServe in 1991 and Prodigy in 1995. Now, by that time, the precedents coming out of that 1959 case we just mentioned were pretty clear. If you were a publisher... You were responsible for the content you publish, no matter who wrote it. If I'm Tor Books and somebody writes something defamatory or libelous, Tor Books is on the hook because I'm the publisher. I'm the editor. I knew what the writer was writing. I'm getting behind them. However, if you are a distributor, like a bookstore or a warehouse, you're not responsible for the things written in the stuff you distributed. Again, unless you knew that it was, you know, if everybody knew that this book was illegal and you distributed it anyway. CompuServe had a policy of not trying to moderate content. So in their case, Chubby Inc. versus CompuServe, the court deemed CompuServe was a distributor. They're not trying to say who says what. They're immune from liability. They're, they're a distributor. However, Prodigy, in its later case, had employed moderators. They wanted to clean it up and say Prodigy is a safe place for you to discuss. You won't run into any of that cruft you get on CompuServe. So in Stratton Oakmont versus Prodigy Services, Prodigy was deemed by the court to be a publisher because they had an element of editorial control over what was published. And therefore, Prodigy, in the court's view, was liable for the comments from the users. Like, look, you're deciding what should and shouldn't be on your service, so you got to take responsibility for what you allow on the service. If left like this, it would encourage internet companies not to moderate content. So that's, that decision came down in 1995. And at the time, Congress was preparing the Communications Decency Act, or the CDA, as part of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. The CDA would make knowingly sending indecent or obscene material to minors a criminal offense. So this is all about child pornography. If enacted, the CDA would require internet companies to block indecent or obscene content and therefore make them publishers under the Stratton Law and thus make them responsible for all content on their platform. Remember, CompuServe got off because it wasn't touching anything. Prodigy got in trouble because they were touching stuff. And this law was going to say every provider has to touch stuff. And under the Stratton precedent, that meant every provider is now responsible for every single thing on their platforms. That led two U.S. House representatives, one Republican Chris Cox and another Democrat Ron Wyden, to write a new section of the CDA that allowed Internet companies to moderate content without becoming publishers. It ended up being 26 words long, and here it is. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. 
pretty forward-looking for 1996 because blogs didn't exist, but it's basically saying, hey, if you're CompuServe and you're moderating, let's say Prodigy, and you're moderating stuff and somebody writes something libelous, it's not your fault. You're not going to be held as the publisher. This is, this is key. It's not saying you're off the hook. It's saying you're not going to be held as the publisher. If you should have known, at least at this point, if you should have known, then maybe you're liable under those distributor rules of like, hey, everybody knew. Um, but that's for the courts to decide. Also, it says because no provider or user. That means if I as a user create a page like a blog and someone comments on my blog, I'm not liable for that just because I'm a user of the service. That became Section 230 of Title 47, often called Section 230 of the CDA. Now, oddly, a little side note here, the rest of the CDA no longer exists. The anti-indecency portion that caused Section 230 to be created was challenged by the ACLU, and the Supreme Court ruled in 1997 that those anti-indecency sections were unconstitutional. But the court left Section 230 standing. So the cause for the need of Section 230 was removed, (laughs) but that left 230 as the law. Of course, Section 230 was also challenged in court. Uh, In 1997, Zarin versus America Online, an AOL user sued AOL for failing to remove in a timely manner libelous ads posted by other AOL users that connected his number, his phone number, his home phone number to the Oklahoma City bombing. Pretty awful. In its decision, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit wrote... It would be impossible for service providers to screen each of their millions of postings for possible problems. Faced with potential liability for each message republished by their services, interactive computer service providers might choose to severely restrict the number and type of messages posted. Congress considered the weight of the speech interests implicated and chose to immunize service providers to avoid any such restrictive effect. So this is very consistent with our 1959 justification saying, look, if if there's way too much to deal with, if there was too much to deal with in that bookstore in 1959, there's certainly too much to deal with in an America online situation with millions of posts. So you should hold the poster reliable, not the service. However, and this is where I think we get the little piece of grit that caused the pearl of frustration that will manifest later. The court also wrote that Section 230, and I quote, creates a federal immunity to any cause of action that would make service providers liable for information originating with a third-party user of the service. That ends up being a stricter protection for a distributor than the 1959 case. You can make an argument that if there'd never been a CDA, there never would have been a need for a Section 230, <laughs> and therefore we would have had court cases determining this, and maybe we wouldn't have got as strict of a definition. You can argue it the other way, too. Obviously, there still was a case where CompuServe was being called a distributor, but Prodigy was being called a publisher that needed to be resolved. But this 1997 case, Saren versus AOL, sets the protection for internet services higher than the protection that was set for a distributor in 1959. 
And that new broader shield became the principal justification for CDA 230. Now, don't get me wrong. The section does not give internet companies a free pass entirely. For a court to determine that you qualify for the immunity of Section 230, and Section 230 provides a defense, you can still be sued, but to qualify for that defense provided by Section 230, you got to meet three criteria. First, the company or the user must be a provider or user of an interactive computer service. CDA 230 does not apply to people writing letters. So that one's pretty straightforward. You got to be you got to be on the internet. Also, you have to be accused of being the publisher or speaker of the harmful information. That one's pretty straightforward too. You can't blame Facebook for something written on Twitter. But the third one's the key. You must not be the information content provider of the harmful information. In other words, Twitter posts something itself it doesn't get off the hook. Uh, it has to be somebody else using your service. Now, there are also other exceptions. Companies are not immune from federal criminal liability or intellectual property claims. The intellectual property claims part was codified pretty clearly in the Digital Millennium Copyright Act of 1998. That's a whole separate topic. In addition, in April 2018, Congress passed a law exempting service providers from Section 230 immunity if they knowingly facilitate or support sex trafficking. So you have three exemptions here. If it's a federal crime, different standards apply. If it's an intellectual property violation, different standards apply. And if it's sex trafficking, different standards apply. There's still an element of safe harbor in these. There's an element of safe harbor in the DMCA, but it's different than Section 230. You no longer are subject to Section 230 protections, which, as we mentioned, are very broad. In recent years, other exemptions to Section 230 have been proposed. Some folks want Section 230 to require social networks to deal with propaganda, fake news, terrorism, hate speech. So there's no end of people now lining up to say, okay, we've we've had a few exceptions put in. Can we put in a few more? I would like this to be an exception where I want them to, to go in and shut the speech down in a more aggressive manner because of that broad shield, right? The broad shield says, even if it is illegal, even if it's a despisable terrorism act, the platform provider is not responsible for it. The poster is. And usually the justification is, well, we don't know who these posters are. Some want Section 230 to only apply to politically neutral platforms as well. This last one argues that social networks can moderate their content under Section 230. That was the whole point of the protection, right? And that allows them to tilt the playing field and remove content from certain points of view. Since this leads to a platform potentially having a political perspective, we're only going to allow uh, posts that support this political party on this platform, that therefore, in this argument, it should be considered a publisher. That's the argument. Now, that hasn't become a law, but that is one of the arguments being put out there. In fact, the bill that has got the most momentum recently isn't about that. The, the exception that they want to put back in harkens back to the original CDA, which no longer exists. It's the Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies, or Earn It Act. It's another bipartisan bill. It's sponsored by Republican Senators Lindsey Graham and Josh Hawley and Democrat Senators Dianne Feinstein and Richard Blumenthal. The Earn It Act 
would create a 15-member government commission made up of administration officials and industry experts to establish a set of best practices for the detection and reporting of child exploitation materials. This is both, depending on where you sit, the benefit and the detraction of this bill. It doesn't put a hard and fast rule out that could then have a loophole or be misinterpreted. It says, hey, we're going to have an independent commission figure out what the rules of the road should be. They can change over time. They're adaptable. But whatever that commission comes up with, internet services have to abide by. And if you don't follow the practices recommended by the commission, you could lose your CDA 230 immunity. You could lose your safe harbor. Now, internet companies don't like this because they don't know what the rules will be. It's, it's hard to get somebody on board to say, hey, this group of 15 people that we haven't named is going to come up with rules that you have to abide by or lose your immunity to operate. So that bill is opposed by lots of organizations, including the Internet Association. Principally, a lot of these organizations fear that the commission might recommend backdoors to encryption. Now, the senators say there's no intention of adding backdoors, but the possibility is enough to make organizations oppose it. So that's where we are with CDA 230 and or Safe Harbor. To sum up, Section 230 was meant to encourage Internet companies to allow open communication on their platforms by freeing them from liability for what other people post. This led to forums and chat rooms and social networks and blogs and more. This is because without immunity, the scale of the task of moderation would be too tall to provide protection from that liability. And that's an old principle. That isn't doing with the Internet. They were talking about it with bookstores back in the 50s. So to encourage at least some moderation to say, look, we want to give you the incentive to moderate. Uh, because, again, with CDA gone, you could say like, hey, just leave it like CompuServe. If nobody moderates, nobody's responsible. But People don't like that idea either. So to say, look, we want you to have some moderation, uh, Section 230 was needed. At least that's the opinion of some people. But that scale problem didn't go away. And that has led to illegal content flourishing, even when you're trying to moderate, both for content not protected by 230, like intellectual property. Even though there's an exemption for intellectual property, that scale problem means it's still a problem. And for content that is protected, but companies want to reduce, like child pornography, you can say, hey, Section 230 means I don't have to take this stuff down. And that court decision means even if I know it's there, I don't have to take it down. But a lot of companies want to take it down because it's, it's a bad look. And yet it's still proliferating as well. So what happens next? Anybody's guess. But at least I hope this helps you understand what Safe Harbor is and isn't and what Section 230 does and does not protect. In other words, I hope now you feel like you know a little more about Safe Harbor. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.